Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached Word of God in agreement to the Scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. A little harder for that. But I want to build what I can around that to protect that because there's just something about being here in the presence of the Lord. Not because it's Wednesday, but, but it's because what, as a body, we decided we're going to set this aside. And we're going to give this to God, and it's special. And I'm thankful for what I feel here today. The book of Acts, chapter 12, and verse 12. I'm going to read a very familiar passage of Scripture, read several Scriptures here tonight in a row. It's a very familiar story. I want to continue. I preached a couple of Wednesday nights ago about what happens when God's people pray. It's kind of got a hold of my heart and um, I just ask the Lord today to strengthen us and help us to realize that our prayers are not an exercise in futility and our being here tonight is not a waste of time amen It, it is not a waste of time sometimes we pray I don't know what your designated moment or season or time of prayer is daily some pray in the morning some pray in the evenings or whatever, all points in between. And uh, I like to pray in the mornings. That's, that's, my, that's my preference. And some mornings I pray and it just feels so right and it feels so wonderful and I leave and just feel warm and fuzzy all over. And other days I get up and I don't know if the Lord heard me or not. You don't care if I be honest here just a moment, do you? I know that he did. I'm just... Speaking from my heart, I, nothing warm, nothing fuzzy. I didn't feel some presence in the room, but I just knew it was the right thing to do, the right thing to do. And uh, I want to talk about what happens when God's people pray. I want you to know something, that it matters. God listens. Heaven stands at attention. The book of Acts 12 and 12, and this is a, a familiar story to many, maybe not to all, so let's just visit it again. And when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, Acts 12 and 12 is where I'm reading, where many were gathered together praying. You know, you used to be able to know when people were with you if you called the scripture wrong because you could hear the pages slipping. We're beyond that. I can't hear your phone and I can't hear your iPad and all of those All of those digital Bibles, but I just wanted to make sure. I felt like I was in the wrong place there. I told you the wrong thing. Acts 12 and 12. And when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a damsel came to hearken named Rhoda. And when she knew Peter's voice, she opened not the gate for gladness, but ran in and told how Peter stood before the gate. And they said unto her, Thou art mad. But she constantly affirmed that it was even so. Then they said, It is an angel. 
But Peter continued knocking, and when they had opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. But he, beckoning unto them with a hand to hold their peace, declared unto them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. Not just that the Lord did, but he said, I want you to know how he brought me out. And he said, go show these things unto James and to the brethren. And he departed and went to another place. Amen. May the Lord bless you. Let's be seated in Jesus' name and make a journey together here tonight for just a little while. I think one of the most reassuring things that we can comprehend or that we must comprehend is the fact that we can pray anytime. I made mention a moment ago of early morning prayer and various other seasons of prayer, but we don't have to have a designated place or time. We need a designated place and time of prayer, but I'm just saying that we can pray anytime and we can pray anywhere. It doesn't have to be Sunday. It doesn't have to wait till Wednesday. It doesn't have to be at some other point in time when we're all gathered together collectively as a body. But God's ear is always open and it is always available to us when we pray. We don't have to wait for something catastrophic to happen, but we can just pray. I can speak to him in prayer and he hopefully recognizes my voice. Amen. I hope to pray often enough. It's like when you talk to friends often enough, you don't, they don't have to say who this is on the other end of the phone. You recognize their voice. And um, I want to pray often enough that when I open my mouth, he hears my voice and recognizes that. I know that we can pray at any time and under any circumstances. Prayer is always the best thing to do, always. Yet despite this knowledge, I think that we would all most likely admit that we are more prone to prayer or it's easier to pray during seasons of sorrow or seasons of trial and things of that nature. I think that fact was obviously clear and certainly not lost to David in Psalms 18 and 6 because it is here that the psalmist David said, In my distress I called upon the Lord and cried unto my God, And he heard my voice out of his temple and my cry came before him even into his ears. In my distress, he said, I called upon the Lord and and I cried unto God and he heard my prayer. I'm thankful that I can pray to him. I'm thankful that at any moment in time I can pray to him. And as we consider this text this evening, I, I think it's important for us to note that the church at least here in Acts chapter 12, was distressed. It was a very stressful time. It was not long after, of course, uh, the day of Pentecost, and we have that as a mark in our lives and minds about the church, and what a great day and a great moment that was. But it was not long after that that a lot of trouble and trial and tribulation and a lot of distress came upon the church. And there are times that the church at large, the church as a whole finds itself under attack. Not just that we are under attack individually or that some family in the church or an individual in the church may be going through something. Certainly that happens, but I think there are, I know there are seasons that a church body can come under attack. I've watched that through the years myself. We must realize that we're not immune to those kinds of assaults, whether that's from within or from without. 
As long as Satan is allowed to live in this world, he's gonna do everything within his power to disturb and disrupt the harmony and the effectiveness of the church. Amen. He's gonna do everything he can. And the key is that I must, I must make sure that I'm not a part of that confusion. That I don't fall for his tricks. That I don't fall for that ploy. He hates a message of deliverance, so he's gonna do everything he can do to stop that. He knows that if he can turn us against one another, then he can certainly effectively frustrate the work of God. And so we have to be very diligent and very intentional about those things. If he can fill us with fear about attacks, then he can stop us from serving the Lord. Or if he can fill us with fear over our, over, uh, if he can fill us with fear over the future or what God may have spoken into our heart, if he can fill us with fear, he can stymie that next step. Does that resonate with anyone? God speaks something wonderful into our heart. And, and when we come down from that heavenly high and our feet hit the ground, and then we start calculating in all the risks that are involved in that, then he has, he has successfully frustrated and can keep us mired where we are. If he, can, if he can make us fear our future, then he can hold us in our past. And so only someone, I believe, who is woefully ignorant could look at the modern church anywhere without seeing the problems that we face. The church at large faces tremendous obstacles in the hour that we're living in. I didn't come tonight to paint your world gray. I'm just talking about the things that we, that we face every day, the realities. We operate in a world that is hostile to the message of the word of God, the message of Christendom at large. I'm being very serious. And so we're, we're not immune from that. And I'm talking about the church body. But if we bring that down to a local level, the church, this local church, is not immune from the troubles that come in this life. And so just because you don't come to church and hear about every little thing that's going on doesn't mean nothing's going on. <laughs> Amen. There are troubles and there are problems and there are attacks. And we need God to help us as much as any church on the planet needs God to help us. We need God's help. We need God to touch us and strengthen us. If there was ever a day when the church needs to learn how to lean on the power of God, it is the day in which we live now. We need God to help us. We need God to strengthen us. And so it is imperative that we understand the power of a praying church, the power of what happens when God's people pray. There is something far beyond what we can measure here this evening that is going on in the spiritual atmosphere just because we walked in this room. A promise was made and fulfilled that when we would come together in his name, he would meet with us here. And we have felt that promise in effect here tonight. In Acts 12, moving back to our text in 1, Peter, one of the apostles and leaders of the church in Jerusalem, was imprisoned. The verse, the, the scripture says, now about that time Herod the king stretched forth his hand to vex certain of the church. So Herod had reached out to vex certain people in the church. And so Herod's intent to persecute every Christian could not be taken lightly. There, there's an incredible story that is shared in the book of Matthew and and I, I want to read from this tonight because I want you to understand why there was just 
a measure of tension within this New Testament church. In Matthew 14 and 6, the Bible said, When Herod's birthday was kept, the daughter of Herodias danced before them and pleased Herod, whereupon he promised with an oath to give her whatsoever she would ask. And she, being before instructed of her mother, said, Give me here John the Baptist's head in a charger. And the king was sorry. Nevertheless, for the oath's sake and them which sat with him at meat, he commanded it, it, don't, don't be fooled by that two-letter word, it was John the Baptist's head in a charger. And so he commanded it to be given unto her, and he sent and beheaded John in the prison. And so Herod was a very foolish man uh, and had made a very foolish commitment to his daughter, unaware of exactly what was going to play out. But he, the scripture said, had reached out to vex certain of the church. He had already killed James, John's brother. And apparently the majority of the citizens had approved of, of his capture of Simon Peter. Now he has beheaded John. And so Herod was very serious. He wasn't just talking. And if you've, if you've read anything about Saddam Hussein and other, uh, other <laughs> lunatics like this, I'm just uh, trying to think of a good Christian word here on a Wednesday night. <laughs> Sorry I, had to, sorry, I had to pause that long. But uh, in, in sitting with his cohorts and, uh, in, in various meetings, I've read multiple accounts of this where someone would disagree with him and just pull his pistol out and just shoot him in the head. Well, it's easy to get people to have a spirit of submission when you do stuff like that. It's pretty easy to have a harmonious meeting. <laughs> and so here is... Herod that has imprisoned Simon Peter, the church has a real reason to be on edge because this man is not playing. He is not just uh, taking people and holding them hostage just for a few days and turning them out hoping they have learned their lesson. There's a lot of stress within the church and so Herod was serious about guarding Peter and he assigned four shifts of four soldiers in detail chaining him between two. Herod's intent was to give him a fair trial after the Passover, but, but he was going to take his life. There's, there's no doubt about that. That was his intent. And so Simon Peter needed a miracle in the worst way, in the worst kind of way. He needed a right now miracle. I mean, the clock is ticking. He needed God. There's, that goes without saying. But he needed that connection, that earthly connection to God. And so there's never a moment that we don't need God. Amen. But there are times that we can't just seemingly reach God for ourselves. And so we need that one thing that can bring continuity between God and man. And that is the body of Christ, the church. Don't ever discount the value of the church. He needed the church. And so here we see how the church responded in Acts 12 and 5, the Bible says, Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. And so Peter has been imprisoned, and, and so now we see the church kind of leaning in, and I would submit to you that many times the church is at its best during times of crisis. Amen. I don't mean that maybe as literally as some may define that, but certainly in a time of crisis, you can find the church standing tall. 
Let someone find themselves in a real crisis and people respond with prayer and many times, not just with prayer, but with practical assistance. But there's a tiny word in verse five that makes a big difference. It's a little conjunction word, but the situation looks desperate. The Bible says Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made. The situation looked desperate and certainly was desperate, but it looked as though Peter might be put to death, but it looks as though the young church might be destroyed before it can carry the gospel to the whole world, but one small thing is changing all of this, and that one small thing was the fact that the church got serious. Amen, in the face of this overwhelming problem, the church bowed its head as one person and began to pray, hallelujah. I think it's noteworthy that the church didn't cower in fear because of all the other funerals that had already taken place. The threat of another funeral, the church didn't run and hide, but the church rose to the occasion. But now let's take a closer look at this prayer. Now this was a collective voice as one, but let's take a closer look because this is the kind of prayer that I think the church ought to be offering today. We're told that the church prayed without ceasing. And so here is that one more time, that snapshot of not just prayer, but that fervency added to prayer. People pouring out their hearts to God in prayer before the Lord, amen, making this need known. I know I read this passage a couple of Wednesday nights ago when I was teaching about prayer, but we, can't, uh, we cannot afford to forget James 5 and 16 because the scripture says here that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And so when we kneel in prayer, stand in prayer, walking in prayer, whatever your posture of prayer may be, we have to understand that that is an availing prayer. I believe that has to be backed up with a righteous life. And so if you're not living a righteous life, you know what you gotta do, don't you? Turn around. Amen, walk the other way. If you're not righteous, get righteous. Stay righteous. Amen, that's, that's not a prayer that's casual. That's not a prayer that's apathetic, but it's a prayer that reaches heaven and it moves the hand of God. I find it interesting to note that, that verse five says their prayers were made without ceasing unto God. This wasn't about being seen and heard of men. This wasn't about somebody uh, being able to look real spiritual in the presence of others but this was a prayer just unto God. It was as though the whole world had closed down and the church was praying unto God. This congregation joined their voices and they reached up as one to touch God, amen, for Simon Peter. And when we pray, I believe that we must also pray in faith. I, think, I also think that it's important to see that the Bible says that prayer was made for him. They prayed without ceasing, they prayed unto God and they prayed for him. I believe in specific prayer. Amen, I do a lot of general praying. I certainly do a lot of general praying. Amen, I pray for God to touch our church. I pray for God, there's a lot of general terminology that may be used, but, but then there's another, there's another chapter. I turn the page, another dimension. I wanna pray specifically and I got some names that I'm, I'm gonna call. They're on, my, they're on my prayer list and I'm gonna call their name and I'm gonna call that situation before God and I'm gonna speak to him about that. Amen, are, are you with me? I'm not just talking about me tonight. 
but I'm talking about that they prayed without ceasing and they prayed unto God. This was not about somebody else listening or eavesdropping and they prayed for him. They prayed for Simon Peter. In other words, they came together for a purpose. They came together with an intent. This was a directed prayer. They sought God's power and his direction and his help for a very specific need. I believe their prayers had power because they were united in their purpose. Never underestimate the power of unity. Not only did the people love Peter, but they needed him. Yes, they did. They needed him. They loved him as an individual, but they needed him. He was their pastor. That's what we would call him today. And so they gathered in earnest prayer. They needed him. And so they said, we're gonna, we're gonna focus our prayer, our time, our effort, and our energy. In 1991, my wife and I had a very similar experience. For those of you who have been around for the journey, you have heard this before. But my wife had been having some health issues prior to 1991 for about three years. The doctors couldn't seem to find out what was wrong. And so they were testing her for everything seemingly known to man. In 1991, we were expecting our second child And in the course of that pregnancy, my wife lost that baby. But through that, the doctors were able to determine that she had systemic lupus. Things began quickly spiraling out of control. We really didn't even know what that meant. We didn't even, wasn't even familiar with the word back in 1991. And so we we didn't really know the magnitude of, of what was being told to us in a doctor's office. Her liver count, the only thing we knew was this, that the doctor said that your liver count is, is such and such. And, uh, and he said that uh, we're, we're gonna need you to come back every two weeks. And we're gonna have to do blood work every two weeks. And he said, if your liver count, whatever this count is, I'm sorry that I'm not being more technical. I don't remember all of that, but I just remember the, the most important things. The most important thing I remember hearing was that if your liver count gets to 60, you're gone. And so we're trying to wrap our minds around this. We're trying to come to terms with this. We're trying to figure out how all of this is gonna play out. The church had been praying all along. And so she kept going back to the doctor. Her liver count getting higher and higher and higher and higher. We went back in, the last time we went back in, and her liver count was at 58. And the doctor set us down, and we had the talk. I'm sorry, we've done all we know to do. You can't even wrap your brain around these these words. You can't even fathom that your life, especially at any age, but especially at that time in our lives, You can't imagine that this is all happening. But the church went to prayer. Amen. I remember specifically some ladies started coming to the church and praying. And that's not to say they had not been praying. And that's not to say that, you know, had they prayed earlier, they could have, we could have avoided this whole nasty mess. I'm not pointing fingers, I'm making a point. That something happened in the heart of the church and they said, you know what? I know we've been having prayer requests and I know we've been doing it this way and I know we've been doing it that way, but we've got to get a hold of God. And so the doctors in January, 
this was in December and the doctors in January because it was so new, at least to them. They said, we would like to, if you would just, if you would just let us do a biopsy of your liver. And because we don't really know what a liver looks like at, at 58, we, we're, we're trying to figure this out. If you don't mind, if we do a biopsy, would you, would you submit to that? And, and, uh, and, and, and she agreed. And I, we look back on it now, we were kind of perplexed about why he would even agree to something like that. But, but the church was praying. And, and, and so she went in in January for a, a liver biopsy. And when they went into her liver, they realized that indeed she did have systemic lupus, but it wasn't uh, what they thought. It wasn't doing it, the damage that they thought it was doing. And, and I'm not here to talk about us and all of that. What I'm trying to say is, is that in an instant, God did not heal her, as you well know, but God has touched her many times through the years when we were just wringing our hands thinking th- th- this is it. I-, I remember my wife coming home. <laughs> I remember coming home. <clears throat> I didn't mean to get into this. <clears throat> And she said, if I can just see Justin graduate. And we knelt in our living room. And we prayed just for that. Just for that. Just We'll just take this one step at a time. One step at a time. And I don't understand. I've got as many questions as anybody in this room. But I know that God has touched her many times and pardon me, I did not mean to make this about us. But I'm telling you that there's something powerful that happens when God's people say, you know what? It don't matter how much gas is. It doesn't matter how much my light bill was last week. It doesn't matter how much bread. It doesn't matter how much milk is. It it just doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. We've got to get to the church. We've got to pray. We've got to touch God. Brother Rayleigh, I would love to know. I would love to be able to explain this more in more detail. The only thing I know is this, that in December they said, we've done all we can do. And I'm not trying to just fluff this up for a sermon, but we were wringing our hands and we were, our minds were blown. And in January they said, well, maybe there's hope and maybe we can do this and maybe we can try that. And that's the journey we've been on ever since that very January day. And I thank God for that. What I said, all of that to say this, that there was something that changed. I don't know where all of that was headed, but I believe something changed when this church, when God's people said, we are going to pray. We're going to turn our attention. We're gonna turn our energy. We're going to turn all of that. Amen, I thank the Lord for that. I thank the Lord for that. Amen, it seems to parallel this story. I have no doubt believing that prayer, their prayer that was earnest. I, I realized that, Some may not have been optimistic about the situation. And sometimes we pray, and we may even pray very guarded prayers. (laughs) Almost afraid that God will let us down, so we kind of hedge our bets, hedge our prayers. The night before Peter's trial, I want you to notice something, if you will. If you'll just peel the curtain back and just... Take one peek in and just see one thing. That's all I want you to see. The night before his trial, if you pull the curtain open and you just peer in, Simon Peter is asleep. 
asleep. He didn't just go to sleep on some comfortable cot. He went to sleep chained between two Roman guards. This is where he was when the angel of the Lord found him and woke him. I wish I would have been just sharp enough to bring chains to church tonight. (laughs) I mean, this is where he was when the angel found him and woke him. Chained between two Roman guards, trial set first thing in the morning. Remind you why Simon Peter was able to sleep. I will remind you with just one passage of scripture and that is found in John 21 and 18. The Bible says in John 21 and 18, verily, verily, I say unto thee, talking to Peter, when thou wast young, thou girdest thyself and walkest whether thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thine hand and another shall gird thee. And another is gonna carry you wherever you would go. If you get anywhere, it'll be because somebody else carries you. I don't know how it all played out in Simon Peter's mind, but he said, I heard the verdict. The verdict says my trial is first thing in the morning, but I'm gonna tell you that I'm looking at my hands and I'm a long way from where John 21, 18 says I'll be. I don't know what God is gonna do between now and then, but I'm gonna go to sleep and I'm gonna let him work it all out. I'm gonna tell you tonight, there's something powerful. He could sleep. He could sleep and rest, not only in the promises of the Lord, but he could rest in the fact that there was a church family, there was a church body, there was a group of people that were earnestly praying for Simon Peter. Obviously, we can't know for certain, but I've always felt that Simon Peter considered his current station in life versus where the scripture said he was gonna be. And in, a real, in an instant, he realized, I don't know what's gonna happen, but I, I know that I'm here and I'm not there, and so I'm just gonna let God work it all out. He knew that his life wasn't over. And so the angel awoke him. Peter followed the angel's instructions, half awake, half asleep. He put on his robe, his sandals. He walked with the angel past two sets of guards and out of the prison. The angel escorted him to the very gates of the city and the gates opened apparently by themselves and then Peter walked into the city. And when he did, the angel left him and now Simon Peter is standing there, a free man. Did you, did you follow all of that? He was asleep, chained between two guards and the angel wakes him and said, come on, let's go. Let's get out of here. <laughs> He's half asleep, half awake, He dresses himself. He walks out of the prison, out of the gates, by the guards, and he catches himself, absolutely a free man, and he's standing there wondering what in the world just happened. Amen. This is not two Dr. Seuss for you, is it? This is the word of God. This man had a death sentence. This man was destined to die just like others before him had died. But now he finds himself and so where do you think he went? Amen, he said, I'm gonna go to Mary's house because I I just imagine that's where they're gathered praying. (laughs) And so here we are. You know, I just love this story because not only is it a story of great triumph, not only is it a story of great victory, but it is a story of just brutal honesty. 
And so here we are. And when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered praying. Sure enough, his suspicions were right. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, the damsel came to, the, to hark and named Rhoda. And when she knew Peter's voice, she opened not the gate for gladness. She got so excited about what was going on, amen, <laughs> until she just turned and ran. She ran in and she told all of these people that are praying, you need to hear me, hear me, hear me. Peter is standing at the gate. The man we're praying for is standing outside of the gate. And this is the response of the church. <laughs> amen, they've skipped supper. They missed a soccer game. They missed this, they missed that. They missed whatever. And they came to the church to pray that Simon Peter would be released. And they're saying, now don't bother us right now, we're praying. Don't mess with us right now, we're doing something super spiritual. And she said, I'm telling you that the man we're praying for is standing at the gate and the church said unto her, thou art mad. horrible just to see yourself in that three-way mirror, isn't it? Amen. You know what we just did? I hate those things. Go and try on a pair of pants or a suit at Dillard's and you step up on that, you know, it's about two steps, just takes you right into that cubby hole and there you are, loud and proud. And you know what we just did a moment ago as a church? We all just stepped into that three-way mirror. Because when I said, thou art mad, we found ourselves. You gotta be, <laughs> you gotta be kidding. I'm gonna tell you that we have prayer on Sundays or Wednesdays about a specific situation and somebody has called me on Monday and told me about it and my response was, you gotta be kidding. I'm just admitting it because I have the mic, but we can pass it around if you want to. You, you gotta be kidding. I know the context in which we say that, in which we mean that, but they said, you are mad. But she constantly affirmed and said, I'm telling you that the man we're praying for is standing outside the gate. And then they said, well, it's probably just an angel because there's no way, there's no way that, 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 that it could be. But Peter continued knocking. Thank the Lord, he didn't give up. And when they had opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. But this is what happened when God's people pray. I'm telling you, powerful things can happen. I'm not trying to be comedic tonight. I'm just trying to tell us that sometimes we get caught in all of our humanity and it just shows and we have faith. And I, I love the man in the Bible who was so honest and said, Lord, I believe, but help thou mine unbelief. I, I believe, but I'm staggering and I'm stumbling. I, I believe, but my steps are just wayward and, my, and, and, and it seems like I'm gonna stumble and fall, but he beckoned unto them. Amen, he said, I want you to hold your peace. I want you to hold your peace. There's something far more critical here than just me coming out. He said, declare unto them how the Lord, he began to declare unto them how the Lord brought him out. And he said, I want you to go show these things to James and the brethren. And he departed. I want you to understand. He said, I, I have been delivered. The prayer of the church has been heard, but we gotta move on. There's some other things we gotta do. They didn't just, he didn't wanna just stand there and make it all about him. Are you hearing me? Amen, this ought to be what the church does. This ought to be what happens when the church prays. Hallelujah. Watch what happened next. Watch what happened next as our musicians come.
Rhoda, the servant girl, sat listening to the prayers of the church for Peter. When, when the knock came at the door, she ran to answer the door. We have no idea who she thought may have been at the door. But then all of a sudden, she recognizes the voice on the other side. She said, this is Peter. In a moment of absolute honesty, we see her do something so human. I'm gonna tell you, when I read passages of scripture like this, it encourages me. I'm just, I'm just being honest with you. Because I don't always respond right. I really don't. The other half of that equation is neither do you. We don't always respond right. She was so overjoyed, she ran back in. So, so human, so human that she failed to open the door. They, the church, the body, the body itself said, you're mad. It had to be an angel. You must be mistaken. I wonder what would happen if we really understood the power of prayer. The power of prayer. I feel like sharing this story. I haven't even thought of this in several years until just a few months ago. A few weeks ago, I'm sorry. I was standing right here in this building almost probably 24 years ago, 23 or 4 years ago. And a, a man in this community, and not in this local community, but a man in our area, stopped by here one morning and he was really inquisitive about the Holy Ghost. And he actually pastored a, another church that didn't really believe in the Holy Ghost. And so we were standing down about halfway down that aisle right there. And so he said, I, I, I just need to ask you about the Holy Ghost. And so I just began to talk to him about the scripture and tears began to well up in his eyes. And he said, I just got to share with you what happened. He said, some of the men in the church and I started meeting early in the mornings for prayer. And he said, several of us got the Holy Ghost. He said, I don't know what to do with this. And because of that experience, not to get too far into detail here but the church asked him to leave and so he was just kind of out, out, out in the middle of nowhere here trying to find himself and so we met several times and, and uh, he called me one morning and he said I, I want you to pray for me because he said I have a, a brother who is dying of cancer in, in another state and he said, I, I'm going to see him, and I want you to pray that the Lord will just give us a safe trip. 
So two or three days went by and he called me and he said, I need to meet with you. I got to share with you what happened. I, I think I've shared this perhaps before. But he said, we got to, when he come back from his trip, he said, we got to North Carolina. And he said, I walked into the hospital room and there was all my family. And he said, when I walked in the door, he said, he told me all along, he said, my brother's an unbeliever. He said, he, he's never gone to church, doesn't believe in uh, any of this stuff. And so he said, I, I, uh, he, he had told me that prior. But he said, when I walked in the door, he said, I felt like the Lord spoke to me to lay hands on my brother and pray for him. And he said, I really wrestle with that because he said, you've got to understand that my whole family doesn't believe in divine healing. And he said, I, I just kept standing there wrestling with it, what, what to do, what to do. And he said, I just couldn't get over this impression. Go lay hands on him. And he said, I walked to my brother's bedside and I laid my hands on his chest and I began to pray. And he said, when I did, my brother, who had not spoken to anyone in weeks, rose up out of the bed speaking in tongues. Yes. I feel a thou art mad spirit. <laughs> I feel it might have been an angel spirit. We get real slippery about when we think God might really do what he says he'll do. And in just a few days, his brother was discharged from the hospital, healed. When God's people pray. This man didn't have enough credentials to be doing this. <laughs> he, didn't know, he didn't have enough initials behind his name to be doing this. Uh -huh. When God's people pray. And I'm telling you that if God can do that for that man, He'll do it for anyone. He is not a respecter of person. I understand that's not how it always plays out. I've preached several funerals since I heard that testimony. I understand that's not always the plan and the will of God. But I'm telling you, don't discount what might happen when you lay hands on somebody and pray for them. Don't discount what may happen when you kneel down in prayer. You may just be kneeling at a chair in a living room and you may think there's nobody here. This doesn't even matter. Who knows if I pray or not? But you have no idea what's going to happen. If you need God to help you tonight, you know what you need to do? Is just say, help. Help me. Help me. There's power when God's people pray. Let's stand. <laughs> I think God listens when we pray. 
I think God cares when we pray. I think God's interested in what I have to say. Simon Peter didn't stay long. He just stayed long enough to pass the word. He said, this is what happened. Go tell everybody you can. And even when we're slow to, in our faith, even when we don't respond perhaps like we should, as readily as we should, I'm thankful that God still answers prayer. There are several passages of scripture that may have crossed Simon Peter's mind as he walked through those city gates that night. Maybe Psalms 118 and 5 is one. I called upon the Lord in my distress and the Lord answered me and set me in a large place. Another verse written by David, Psalms 138 and 3, in the day that I cried, thou answered me and strengthened me with strength in my soul. <laughs> Amen, strengthen my soul. Psalms 50 and 15. And call upon me in the day of trouble. This is what the Lord says. And I will deliver thee. And thou shalt glorify me. Call on me in the day of trouble. I mean, you're not bothering God. No, ma'am. No, sir. You're not bothering God. I've carried AAA on my family almost since we've been married. I never have dialed that 800 number and apologized. I'm sorry to bother you, ma'am. I'm sorry to bug you. I paid for that. I paid for that. Amen. It's already been paid for, ladies and gentlemen. And he said, call on me in your day of distress. There's no need to struggle. There's no need to stagger and fall. I feel the spirit of prayer. <laughs> There's no need to buckle under this load. Just call on me in your day of distress. He's saying, you're not bothering me. You're not gonna bother me. But oh, if you just call on me. And so I speak to the distress tonight. Amen, if you're here and you're in distress, you're in good company. You're not here alone, I promise you that. If you're here and you got more problems and you've got answers, you're not standing here alone, but you're standing here with people that understand. Hallelujah. And the Lord that we're serving and the Lord that we've been singing about here tonight, the Lord that we've been worshiping in this house, that Lord said, call on me, call on me, call on me. I wonder if we would call on him right now. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh God, anoint us. Oh God, strengthen us. Strengthen us, Lord. Establish our steps. Hold us in your hands, oh God. Hold us in your hands. Oh, I love you, 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 Jesus. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, 
please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.